Before we get going with this week's show, a word from one of our friends, TaylorMade. TaylorMade partnerships provide an unmatched entry and experience into both the racing and breeding side of the thoroughbred industry. Now you can be a part of top-level racing and breeding with all the rewards and less risk and cost. Medallion Racing has enjoyed great success throughout the years, with 66% of starters running in graded stakes and 25% in grade 1s. The partnership was fortunate enough to have Going to Vegas run in this year's Breeders' Cup. Similarly, our Bloodstock Investments has discovered great value on the breeding side of the game, buying and selling such standouts as Improbable, Bast, Cutting Humor, and Flame Away, among others. Join us and experience the thrill with us, your family, at TaylorMade Partnerships. Now, on to this week's show. What's happening? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, November the 7th, 2022. It is episode 138 of the podcast, however you listen. Thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can also watch and listen over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Bernier Show. You will get this episode along with the 137 prior. As always, please rate, review, subscribe, thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, and if you are over on YouTube, make sure the bell icon is lit up so you get notified when new content is uploaded to the In The Money media channel. This week's show is not going to be a sort of traditional recap of the Breeders' Cup World Championships, which just happened this past weekend down at Keeneland. Um, this is going to be, if you're listening, it's going to be a bit of a call it an audio blog if you're watching it's a vlog i guess just i i want to go over the highs and lows it's a reflection for me of this past weekend because i've had many emotions over the past uh to call it i don't know 36 hours somewhere thereabouts um driving flights the whole nine both positives negatives and everything in between and just, I guess this is a form of therapy in a way of just getting it out there. And uh, hopefully this doesn't bore any of you to tears or many of you to tears anyway. Um, and let me know just about any of the things that come up as my baby is squawking in the background upstairs. Uh, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Let's start with the highest of the highs uh, in the family, in the money media, the business manager for In The Money Media. Drew Coatney wins the Breeders' Cup betting challenge um, and does so in spectacular fashion. I had, in my head, planned out prior to the Breeders' Cup that this show was going to be, for better or for worse, whether I did well, I did poorly, I did anything in between, was going to be me going through each one of my plays in the BCBC and explaining the rationale and using some past performances and and this, that, and the other. And then uh, Drew went and won the whole damn thing. So I kind of thought that that no longer was uh, really a uh, show worthwhile. And maybe it will be. Maybe listeners will feel otherwise. And, and if you still want to hear that, we can do that next week. But um, for now, the focus should only be on uh, Drew Coatney and that performance. And I haven't listened to it yet, but if you head on over to the In The Money media channel the feed uh and the podcast platforms or if you want to i'm sure it'll be over on the youtube channel uh ptf is doing an interview 
with Drew Coatney, the winner of the 2022 Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge. Fabulous performance, and I will let him tell you how he did it because when I was texting with him late Saturday night and early on Sunday, um, just kudos. I mean, unbelievable performance, and to do it the way he did it, spectacular. Really no other way of putting it. Speaking of spectacular, uh, Flightline who has now been retired, and someone today bought 2.5% for almost $5 million, which blows my mind. Uh, but he is uh, he is a mind-blowing kind of horse, isn't he? Uh, 121 buyer speed figure, 144 pace-adjusted timeform U.S. rating. He blows the doors off what I think is probably one of the better classic fields that you're going to see for a while anyway. Um and I know it was a short field, but it was loaded with quality top to bottom. And I've seen some people try to take sort of the, the negative stance of it of, oh, well, blah, 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 blah. If you're just denying his greatness at this point, I don't, I don't know what there is to tell you. Um, you're not someone who will be satisfied because I thought it was a thoroughly satisfying performance. It was a fantastic training job to get the horse to peak not once, but twice, but three times, but four times from John Sadler and do it at different tracks and different configurations at different distances. Um, he's just, you know, I, I had long said, I mean long, it's only been a handful of years, I guess, but in my time in the industry, the best horse I had thought was Arrowgate and then I looked at the overall total, total, total and totality, the body of work between he and Gunrunner. I said, well, Gunrunner's probably better than Arrowgate was. Um, just based on longevity and also his A game. Um, and now this horse, no, he doesn't have the longevity, uh, but I don't see any way that you can deny that his fastball, he threw 106 miles an hour from the first inning to the ninth inning compared to some of these other great horses that they didn't do it as well as he did or they didn't do it as long or maybe they did it longer but they weren't nearly as brilliant i just uh, you you can chop it up so many ways horses put it this way in a very this is the easiest way for me to sort of when i was thinking about the race late on saturday as i'm just laying in bed trying to fall asleep how many horses in in your life whether you're new to the game and young or you've been in the game for a long time can you honestly, truly, without you know stretching it a little bit, sit there with a straight face and say they could have won in any given Breeders' Cup year the Classic and the Sprint? I mean, it, there are so few horses that have that sort of brilliance, but also that stamina and just the raw power. Um, outstanding. Superlatives, there aren't enough to describe this horse. Uh, and I, I have no idea if he's going to be a good stallion. Frankly, it doesn't make a difference to me. Um, he is uh, just just an unbelievable talent. One that, if you were privileged enough to see it, I think taking a moment to just, again, I, I, the, the folks that kind of wanted to either, you know, find something to bitch about or whatever. I think you're, 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 uh, it's a small group to be fair, but that's a group that there, there will, there's no satisfying. Um, 
purely from an athletic standpoint, I don't know what else I can possibly see in my life from 33 years old. Um, for as long as I'm involved in this industry, I don't know. And even if I'm not in this industry at some point, I don't know that there'll be another horse that that I see that does that sort of thing. You know, the, the, the secretariat comparisons have come up. I think it's it's easy to forget that that was 50 years ago. I mean, that it's not like that happened recently. So, and I, I know, you know, we, we had two Triple Crown winners in short amount of time. You had Secretariat and you had Seattle Slough not far behind. Um, but, and who knows, maybe there will be another unbelievable talent like this. But he just, um, I don't know, he smashed all expectations. I, I think anyone's wildest expectations. No one could have thought that he would have been what he was here. Another thought for me from the weekend is just, I guess this is kind of twofold or, or they kind of go together. Godolphin's continued run of success, but but I guess broader, the European dominance of our grass races. It's, it's both comical and embarrassing at the same time. And I, I certainly understand, you know, that is not a priority here in the United States. Grass racing at the highest level, it's just not. Um, and and I'm saying this, and we, we've seen time and time again, that when our best dirt horses go to the Middle East or you see one of the better Europeans try dirt, they, they just get destroyed. So I understand it, it's kind of apples to oranges. You're not dealing with the same scenario, but my God, I would like to see something be competitive from a U.S. standpoint. Uh, Rebels Romance wins the turf. Modern Games wins the mile. Silver Knot is unlucky to run second in the juvenile turf, which, by the way, he's defeated by Aiden O'Brien. Um, speaking of Aiden O'Brien, his demise greatly exaggerated. I know he had been on a cold spell, uh, but whether it was Meditate on Friday, whether it was Tuesday on Saturday, um, whether it was Victoria Road, or, I mean, even Stone Age, who ran second in the turf, uh, you know, I think it's it's easy to look at it's easy to look at a set of numbers and draw the conclusion that the trainer or the jockey, because Ryan Moore and, and Aiden O'Brien are attached at the hip, it's easy to look at the numbers and say, well, they they they've lost it. They can't do it anymore at the highest level. But there's no context in that. And that many of their best are not coming here. They have their eyes on different prizes. Um, this time around, these still may not have been the best of their lot. And they still dominated. I think it's also worth noting, and it's something interesting, and I, I won't say the specifics of why. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll allude to the, the breeding part of it. Nick Luck and I in the trailer on Friday morning or Saturday morning, I don't remember, um, we're just chatting. We're going through a couple of the races, and he said, I think Aiden's about to go on a run, a run of old, in that he's going to just start winning a lot of stuff. And not that he didn't win a lot over the past few years, but think of the Aiden O'Brien of you know maybe 10 years ago. 
those kind of dominating runs. He goes, I think he, I think we're on the cusp of that. Um, primarily, he's suggesting from a breeding standpoint. Um, maybe he'll talk about that at some point on his podcast, but I, I don't want to throw any more out there than that. But he, he thinks that primarily because Galileo is no longer the, the go-to for Coolmore and folks, and now they are going to start spreading to look for who is the next big sire, whether it ends up being the no-name nevers or the Saxon warriors, or, you know, we're going to have some of these other runners coming through. There's going to be a bit of a, a, a more diverse group of runners coming through Coolmore than necessarily just the, the, you know, the, the cold, hard runs all day long Galileo types that are hickory. And those are, I think there's a very large, uh, a serious distinction between those two and what kind of animals are produced. Um, and if that is the case, then, you know, get, get ready for more Aiden O'Brien and Coolmore and Charlie Appleby and Godolphin dominating all of our big races. The championship kind of efforts that we saw both Friday and Saturday. On Saturday, Goodnight Olive, she locks up older female sprinter or just female sprinter in general with a brilliant winning effort in the Philly and Mare Sprint. Uh, Forte and Wonder Wheel on Friday to lock up juvenile championship awards for the two-year-old male and two-year-old female. Both of them brilliant in victory. Um, two horses that I have not given enough credit to. And uh, I think especially... You know, Forte had run well at Keeneland. We knew that. He had paired up buyers going into this spot. The the pace worked out for him and helped him a little bit, but that's he was clearly the best horse in the race. Uh, but Wonder Wheel especially, because she did it in such a different dynamic than she had won the Alcibiades. I just did not envision that coming. I still think that group as a whole is a little bit subpar, but she is certainly the best of that group. And I see no reason if she's shown that versatility... Uh, why she can't continue on as a three-year-old and improve in, in, as more time goes by. Uh, Joe's are just a few of the, the efforts and, and clearly, you know, include Flightline in there. He's, he sewed up Horse of the Year and all the other awards and accolades. But those three specifically sort of stuck out to me. And then the if, if Flightline, purely from a performance standpoint, Flightline is the bar, the barometer, uh, but the moment of the weekend is Cody's wish, winning the dirt mile <clears throat> with everything surrounding the horse and the connections and Cody and his family to win and win in the fashion that he did and just sort of the emotion afterward. Um, I, I retweeted it. Um, our producer, Lindsay Shanzer, tweeted out a link with the story and the race and the reaction in the whole nine. If you haven't seen it, it's over on my Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. You can also find it on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. Um, just, I mean, I, there's nothing else to say. I, I can't, <laughs> no no words that I can offer would do any justice for it. Put it this way, I, I believe I tweeted something along the lines of, if you're not crying, you have no heart. Um, I believe that. Now, on the flip side of all the, the positivity and the, the amazing stories <clears throat> were sort of the, the lowlights of the weekend. Some really poor performances from horses that we thought were going to be, you know, kind of the bee's knees or extremely difficult to beat. Um, if you recall, a few weeks ago, I did that exercise of talking about these short prices and saying, man, I, I don't see, uh, 
you know, am I, am I really in a rush to go against this horse or this horse or this horse? And the only sort of piece that I threw out was statistically, you know, it was something like seven of these horses or, or five of these horses, I don't remember the numbers exactly, are going to lose. And, uh, you know, it's up to you as the handicapper to try to figure that out because I had a hard enough time doing that. And we'll get to that in a little bit more. Um, but Jackie's Warrior. I mean, I just, it's so disappointing that that was his last race. He was just so blah. Uh, I knew he was in trouble when, when he needed a little bit of encouraging to go and get Super Ocho. I see he's not going to, there's no way that he's going to get this thing done. Uh, Golden Pal completely missing the break. He confirms many people's suspicions that he just was not quite as good as he was when he won the Breeders' Cup last year. Nest. Yeah, she was very wide, but I thought she was fairly terrible. And that's disappointing for me as someone who was a nest believer. And I still think she's extremely talented. One one poor effort should not uh, you know, undo an entire campaign's worth of, of good. Um, the same goes for Jackie's Warrior and, and Golden Pal. We, these are still extremely talented horses. Um, they just, for whatever reason, did not bring their A game on the biggest stage. And you know, I, I said it during the broadcast and I, I said it in podcast. Jackie needed that race. I think his legacy is much different now than it would have been had he won a Breeders' Cup. And not only did he not win one, he went 0 for 3. I won't hold the first two against him. I've gone on record saying why. Uh, but but still, the, the fact of the matter is he is 0 for 3. His career is come to an end without a, a Breeders' Cup victory in three tries. Uh, and Nation's Pride was fairly terrible in the turf. And I, I, that one I don't feel particularly bad about saying, you know, I was going with the two Godolphin horses um, and Stone Age. And with, I don't feel all that bad about that because clearly Godolphin, Charlie Appleby, and William Buick thought Nation's Pride was the one to go with because he chose that one. And how often does William Buick choose wrong? Um, so, you know, but but a fairly terrible performance. I say that he finished fifth, but it was not a. At no point did he look like he was really traveling like a winner. Rebels Romance, on the other hand, did. The minute James Doyle got him outside, you knew he was going to kick. Um, and then some sad stories. You know, the the two r- real sad stories: uh, Epicenter and Domestic Spending. And Epicenter, you know, it sounds like or you knock wood, you hope it's going to be okay. Saw pictures of Steve Asmussen with him earlier. Um, you know, he's walking around. We'll find out. Hopefully, you know, everything, the, the prognosis is good and he continues to improve and get healthy. And look, if we never see him on the racetrack ever again, that's fine. As long as he's happy and healthy and he can go and, and you know, live out a good long life from here on, that's all that matters. Uh, domestic spending, wait to hear any kind of an update I haven't seen since, but it sounds like it's a rather severe injury. And it's very serious, and um, you know, you just you hope everything turns out okay. Uh, not not because they are superstar horses, but because they're they are they're they're horses, and you just want them. You don't want any horse to get hurt. That's not, you know. I mean, stating the obvious, I think anyone that true not just cares about the game, but cares about that has a heart. You don't you don't want to see any animal get hurt. Um, so you hope, you hope that both of them come through and, you know, again, 
Whether we see them on the racetrack in the afternoons ever again, that, that's kind of inconsequential at this point. It's more a matter of for their longevity going forward. Are they going to be, they going to be happy and healthy? Hopefully, both of them are. And then, to to my own personal weekend, um, I I love doing live TV. There there is nothing like it um, for anyone who has ever been fortunate enough to to work in in this kind of industry or um, knows people that that do it there is no there's no comparison there's nothing that can replicate that sort of buzz i've said it to my wife before my family the idea of when you go through and we have these meetings and you kind of lay out how everything is going to go and you do it again you have multiple meetings and then you go into rehearsal and you rehearse whether it's a long piece or a short piece or whatever it is, and then, okay, everybody, everything seems pretty good, but there's still the live element of it that it has to then happen. And assuming it's not a pre-taped piece, you get one shot at it. When the the light goes on, you go. And my the there's no. I, it's hard to explain the feeling of when some when the producers or someone gets in your ear and they count it in we have one minute to air we have you know 30 seconds to air you know and then all right have a good show and the music hits and you know that now tv is happening and those nerves and the butterflies in the best way kick in and i it's the clo- i assume athletes get similar kind of vibes you know we're, we're doing completely different things but it's a it's a performance and um it's so much different than than this kind of a medium where i'm sitting here i have water i have coffee you know i have my lights on the computer whatever you know but then there's the the flip side of you know the, the ball is up and you know, it's tip off or it's puck drop or it's first pitch or the whistle blows or whatever it may be. And on the live side of things, you just have to go. And I feel like I've improved greatly over the seven, eight years that I've done this from a from a broadcast standpoint. I think television wise I've gotten much better. But I, I expect I, no one can put more pressure or more expectation on me than me. And it's to a fault, unfortunately, um, where I, I don't, things I do well, I don't give myself the kind of pat on the back or love that I probably should. Because I'm thinking of the one little thing that I should have done or said cleaner or specifically the handicapping element of it and i know this is a my my only job is not to be the handicapper it's to entertain on television and put on a show but i have a difficult time separating the two because i feel like one is so much a part of the other and i have a hard time reconciling when I don't feel like I perform. 
But then when I hear from others that everything was great, I still don't feel it. And that's difficult. I still struggle with that. That that is only, as a matter of fact, it's only gotten harder as the years have gone on. That part hasn't gotten any better. And I don't know that it ever will. And maybe it's a flaw of mine personally that I, I set the bar. I expect a very high level from myself and when it doesn't come to fruition i get very disappointed in myself like i've failed whereas maybe on the outside looking in from a television standpoint i've done my job but i don't feel like i have and i have a a very difficult time with that especially for an event like this because it is the one event I I mean, I, not just because we work with people at the Breeders' Cup and we're friends with some of them and, you know, the whole nine. <clears throat> it's the one event I look to, look forward to all year. More so than the Triple Crown by a long shot. More so than Saratoga or Keeneland or any of that. These two days, it's what my whole year kind of revolves around from a horse racing standpoint. And when they don't go your way not because you were unlucky but because you were genuinely not good uh it's it's a tough pill to swallow because now you know you've got 300 now here we are 363 days until the next one um and which then leads me to sort of again the reflection piece of all right well how did we get here How do we get to the point of this past weekend being as disappointing as it was from a performance standpoint? Excuse me. You know, I think it requires a bit of self-assessing. Where am I right now? Have I just completely lost the fastball on the handicapping piece? Um, Is the process that once was good no longer serviceable? Am I looking at things incorrectly um is it more the mental part where i'm putting so much pressure on to perform and when it doesn't go the way i expect it to go it all falls apart you know i think there's only the only answers are going to come in time but i was listening to um Lex Friedman's podcast, and he had Daniel Negreanu on, who's a poker player, for those of you who are unfamiliar. I would imagine most of you know who he is. <clears throat> and the he was discussing sort of the, the, sometimes the run of bad luck that players go on that then leads to this sort of, not the demons in your head, but the, the, the thoughts of, okay, well, is this just genuinely a terrible run of luck? Or am I, am I not performing well? Am I, am I getting beaten or am I getting unlucky? And this is probably the first time, I know I've had other instances throughout the years of doing this show, whether it's with In the Money or with the Daily Racing form, of sort of voicing this out loud. But this time feels a little bit different because I think part of it is I don't think this 
I don't think there was any element of getting unlucky this weekend for me. I think a combination of bad opinions, which is going to happen, but when it happens in such a, a, a massive quantity, but also the approach. And we'll, we'll go full circle back to Drew Coatney, the winner of the BCBC. Drew had a very succinct plan. And again, you need to listen to the conversation he has with, with PTF. I'm sure they'll dive into it. And when I when I heard it, it made me rethink the whole thing. In that have I I, I have I had the wrong idea from day one about an event like this, specifically the contest, the BCBC. Uh, but I guess to a to a broader point, from a from a public persona standpoint, have I have I been wrong in my approach? Of I feel like my philosophy has long been try to find things that may not be crystal clear, try to help uncover some hidden things. But but then again, maybe it is just a matter of don't overthink it kind of thing. I This whole year, I have had considerably more success betting on sports than I have on the horses. And I think a large part of that has to do with my process with sports being as grooved as it is. Now, that's not to say that I'm going to win all the time, but I am extremely confident when I go and make a play that based on my numbers, I'm not making the play taking the short end of the odds. And I've always been very confident about that with the horses as well. The problem is I'm, I'm fearful that I have gotten to a point where I'm reaching too much in the horses. And I'm not, I don't want to say staring a gift horse in the mouth or in the face or however they say that phrase, whatever the fuck it is, excuse me. But the idea of, are you, are you making it more difficult than it needs to be? And I think you'll understand when you hear the conversation that Drew has with Pete about how he went about it. When I saw that and when I thought about it some more, I said, maybe I've just, maybe I am missing the boat entirely. And I need, again, that, that sort of self-reflection, that self-assessment of, all right, maybe it's time to tear it down. And I'm purely talking from a handicapping standpoint. Again, I, I feel like I'm making tremendous strides in my career, broadcasting, things like that. But but purely from a horse handicapping standpoint, maybe it's time to tear this thing down to the studs and rebuild. Or shit, tear, tear it all down, lay a new foundation, frame it up, and go from there. Let me know if if any of this was of 
interest, if this was just um, something for me and no one else is going to find this interesting or appealing or whatever it may be, um, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Um, yeah, it was, it's, I tweeted it. It is my favorite weekend, but it's also the most humbling weekend of the entire year. Both w- whether I have success or I don't have success. Um, I, I, I love the Breeders' Cup more than anything in horse racing. And, um, and that's saying a lot because I, I love a lot about horse racing. But I think for me, and also kind of to put this into perspective timing-wise now, I think this is going to be a good time for me to sort of go back to the drawing board. Um, I will not be putting out any selections uh, for horses probably through the end of the year for NBC. Um, the next NBC broadcast isn't until the Pegasus. And now for my written stuff for NBC Sports Edge, I'm likely to pivot over to college basketball for that article. So uh, along with my hockey and my Premier League, and actually in the next couple of weeks, it'll turn into World Cup coverage. Um, but horses are, are going to be on the back burner for a little bit, purely from a day-to-day standpoint. Um, and I think it's probably necessary because I need a little bit of a, a, a moment of, we need some clarity figure out what we're what the goal is and what we're trying to do going forward again uh thoughts opinions comments beneath the video player on youtube or on twitter at bernie underscore matt again please listen to that conversation between drew coatney the winner of the 2022 breeders cup betting challenge fantastic uh and peter thomas for natal you can find it on the in the money podcast feed or over on youtube i'm sure they'll put that one up as well uh until next monday come back been episode 138 of the show best of luck however you play whatever you play and wherever you play